Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode because we have a special guest named Alex. And just very quickly, uh, I want to tell you all about how we met Alex because I feel like social media gets a lot of shit. (laughs) I know from us, from many people, so superficial and like, you know, just how it can be harmful. But this is one of those instances where we realize how valuable uh, social media is because we got we get to meet such great people. Um, and one of those great people is Alex Zamora, who is a Mexican-American yeah. a photographer, uh, an artist, and just like a wonderful human being. And he is here to share... Uh, his story uh, and his experience in therapy with us. And we got to meet Alex. I believe you found our page. I, I initially, yeah. and then we followed you back because we saw how awesome of an artist you were. And just like through exchanges and DMs, just really like connected. We're rooting for each other. We see your successes, yeah. you see ours. It's just been such a sweet, beautiful experience how we've gotten to know you. Welcome and thank you for being here with us today. Oh my God, thank you guys so much. This is awesome. And that was like the sweetest intro ever. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been incredible to like actually make a connection with someone on exactly like you were saying on the internet through Instagram and like sliding in those DMs, but in the most positive way possible. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to add more sweetness. Uh, hopefully you don't feel awkward about it. But I think that what stuck out most to me, uh, specifically with you, is how open you are in saying, oh, the, your content is so relatable. Um, and I think it, it just kind of helps fuel good people in this world, because I do believe that Crystal and I are good people. And then we find you and it's just like, OK, so they do exist and people do care about these things. And, you know, we're not just on social media for the surface level stuff Mm -hmm. which is fine right Mm -hmm. but then there's like more like you can use it for good almost so and i love the fact that you're always kind of giving feedback and just sharing parts of yourself and super open to talk about therapy um because i you know if all the listeners who have been listening to us from the beginning they know that crystal and i are huge proponents of doing the work so oh yeah i know (laughs) Well, I know you're also a loyal listener or you have listened to um, our episodes in the past. So thank you. And so I know you know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. What are you holding in emotionally, spiritually, Mm. mentally? What would you like to get out of your system? Ooh, That's a good question. (laughs) I guess not holding on to, but I've been trying to accept that, like, I'm actually succeeding in my career and like growing a little bit. Mm. Um, a lot of it. Um, and, um, I have a really hard time, um, like, you know, accepting that and like, like focusing on the, the, the good parts of my life. Um, so yeah, I, um, 
I guess I'd really like to let go of that like self. Mm, I don't know, just <laughs> you know that that they, whatever it is keeping me from like getting like yeah, you're doing it. This is happening. This is and like, I need to accept it. That is so relatable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'm like ah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I feel like you know to your to your point. Sometimes when good things happen, I'm like, oh, this is a good thing, and I minimize it like with because of the fear of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm when the when the shoes the other shoes going to drop right and i don't want to feel like embarrassed like oh look she was like super hype now look at her how embarrassing <laughs> right, or right. you know just um like just not like having grown up understanding what it means to like celebrate the self and wins mm -hmm. and what does that like really mean about you and having those things minimized so there's many reasons why you can feel that way and i right. i can totally relate to that um i guess since i'm already talking i'll say <laughs> what i'm holding in uh so i think i'm holding in a lot of actually a lot of sadness and confusion i think that there's a little bit of like anger and shame about just things that happened last week i kind of just trying to like accept it like accept what does that mean for my life what does that mean about me and who I am as a person? And yeah, I think I'm just kind of like trying to reconcile a lot of different truths, truths that don't feel like they necessarily fit together, right? Because like two things can be true at the same time, but they can also mm -hmm. be very opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah. like, how do you kind of make sense of all of that and then just handle like all of the emotions? So I think it's just mm -hmm. been a very contemplative week um so i'm just kind of trying to make space for all of it so i think it's similar but in a different way what i've been holding in because i think i've been very aware that i've been holding on to something that's old sometimes the old stuff that we experience like almost puts us in a place to to experience anger or sadness or guilt shame like to those feelings crystal was talking about almost like on repeat as if it's happening now, but I think it's just like an automatic response within us. So I'm super aware that I'm, I am holding those things in and I'm like, I don't want this anymore. I don't, I don't need it. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, it doesn't fit. And it's not just like, Oh, I don't get it. It's just like, it's kind of like rodents in your house and you're like, how do I get them out? And it's not as easy as like calling an exterminator. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, to take it out I just know that I have to put work into taking it out and I don't know what the work is specifically like I know I have to do something about it but I don't know how to go about it I don't have a real plan I don't know like I find myself googling stuff like is the world really ending because I need to <laughs> I need to be sure like the world is not ending and like I'm like and then there's point there's a point to all this and I don't it it, it makes sense in my mind and I I don't know if that was just like totally off tangent but I'm like looking for for something real and honest and positive to hold on to because I know it's out there. I just don't know how to do it, if that makes sense. Totally yeah. relatable. I've been yeah. thinking about that too. But I'm like, one thing at a time. We'll, yeah, we'll right. put this whole world shit over to the side while I exactly. figure this other thing out in the meantime. <laughs> exactly. Let me do something I can actually affect and change first. Right. Well, right. good news. We. I don't think it is. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs>
depends on what your meaning of is the world <laughs> depending on what that means that's fair but yeah i guess we can just uh jump right on in my first question to you alex is like what has been your therapy journey how did you start what made you decide to go mm-hmm. yeah so um so i was in a 10-year relationship with someone uh that ended like a week before lockdown in 2020. Um, But um, so around 2014, I was like at my lowest point that I've ever been, um, just deeply depressed and unmotivated. And I think actually to Sasha's point, it's, I had a very similar thought of like, I don't need this anymore. Like just one day I just woke up and felt, I don't want this anymore. I want to feel better. I want to let go of all this heavy weight that I'm holding. I don't think it was of anything specific. I think I just felt that way one day. And so I started looking for a therapist. I knew I wanted a, um, a woman of color therapist, which really narrowed it down. So um, I found one and uh, we connected immediately. Dr. Lilith, she's wonderful. I love her. And we had such a good connection for the for the very first therapist I ever tried. Just really quickly, what, it, what about the connection made you want to keep going, right? Because I, I it can, obviously you were ready for the change. You were like, something has to give. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason why you were so open and vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and ready to connect. So that's a great thing. So just mm-hmm. to those listeners who want therapy, the therapist <laughs> isn't going to reach out and wow you. You yeah. also have to be willing to come 50%, right? Yeah. Um, but what do you think it was about her specifically that made you connect to her and you felt good and comfortable and you continued? And also, how long did you stay in therapy? Or are you so, still in therapy? Uh, no. So I'm not in therapy right now. Um she, uh, I was, I was with Dr. Lilith for about six years. You know, I don't know. It was interesting. It was just like, mm, she is Armenian and I'm Mexican, but for some reason, every time I talked about anything cultural or not for some reason, but you know, cultural or, um, you know, whatever, like specific to my life, she always had a point of reference for herself and like immediately knew what I was talking about, immediately knew the feelings I was going through. And, um, and she did such a good job of like being completely neutral and letting letting me figure it out by asking me the right questions. Not every, I would say like every other session I'd have like a, oh shit, I didn't even think about that. I don't know. She, yeah, she's really good at leading me to the right place, to where I needed to go. Um, I'm so happy <laughs> that you had a good first experience like right off the bat because <laughs> Sometimes even when you feel ready, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to make sure that you're also ready to potentially meet someone who's not a good fit and just stay in the game in terms of um, searching and being in that process. So you were feeling very depressed. What was therapy like? Like, what did working through that look like for you? Um, what was that process? Yeah, it's funny, actually, Crystal, you say that, um, that you still need to like show up and like get through there because even when I started, even though I felt ready to, to move on, like um, I was like performing therapy, therapist mm-hmm. patient when I would go with her. I would like act a certain way and like tell her what I thought she wanted to hear and like, mm-hmm. um, and I would think about everything I wanted to talk about beforehand and I was like filtering a lot of stuff. And um until eventually she was like, I know you're filtering your thoughts and you need to stop. Um, you need to just start talking about what you are actually thinking. I promise you, I will not like judge you. I won't get mm. mad or anything like that. Like whatever you're thinking I'm going to do, I won't do it. 
And so when she called me out, I was like, yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> and that made a huge, after that, we started making progress so fast, mm-hmm. so fast. Because my intention for some reason, uh, I, I wanted to get through there. I want to get fixed in quotes um, as fast as possible. And I told her that and she was like, well, then you're in the wrong place because this is slow. (laughs) Therapy is slow and you need to take your time. And I was like, well, we'll see about that. (laughs) But yeah, she was right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the fact that she called. Well, she called you out, right? But I don't think Mm -hmm. that's called. Well, let's change the the narrative of people Mm -hmm. calling each other out, because I feel like when there's this connotation like, oh, you're going to get called out. I feel dumb. I feel exposed. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I, you know, like sometimes. Mm I, I'm starting to realize that any good relationship that we involve ourselves in, like, has to have that quality of people being able to call you out and say, yo, mm-hmm. do you realize X, Y, Z is happening? Yes. Yeah. And not in a way like, oh, you know, to shame you, but more so because someone loves you. And I feel like our our idea of love has been so warped. Uh, yeah. And like, so... Alex, you're first gen, correct? Your parents are immigrants. And like, I'm not trying to assume anything about you. I can just talk about my experience that with um, my parents' idea of love (laughs) and, you know, them coming into this country and there's this like almost performative piece, like you have to be on your A game. And I wonder sometimes is like, if like first geners kind of inherit that and that's why we have this feeling of like, that can't happen to get called out, even though it's not a bad thing. But all that to say or to ask, how was your your family and like and how was like the culture in the home growing up and how do you think that affected you? And what's the contrast between that experience versus having someone lovingly call you out? And like what is that like what did that ultimately do for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um my family um <laughs> it's complicated, right? Of course, it always is. But I grew up with two sisters and i'm the middle child my whole upbringing was like i don't know it was pretty secluded kind of um we always lived far away from um the school i was attending so i wouldn't be very close to my friends and i didn't really like hang out with my sisters at all my mom is a doctor so she was always busy and she's a badass she's awesome but that did mean that she was gone a lot and then my dad was just like not a great father figure so he was there physically, but completely gone um, mentally. Um, so yeah, so I just spent a lot of time like inside my own head, basically. I think that had a negative impact on me uh, in the long run, and what, and especially in therapy, because it felt so like wrong to talk about my feelings and to talk about like my actual thoughts on things. Um, just because, yeah, my family does not talk about anything. We don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about anything. <laughs> um, even physical contact is like not that common. Um, and I know my mom loves me and I know my sisters love me. And like, it's not, it's nothing about like not liking each other. It's just this really weird <laughs> resistance to like physical touch in our family. Um, and like, and very being open. It just, it's like, it's a tangible resistance that I feel from both my sisters and my mom and my dad died a long time ago. So, but that's also what helped me like push through was that like, I was like, I don't want to be like this anymore. Like I could see what I, what I, I could see it. I can see the problem and I can see what I don't want to be like. And this is what I have to do to like address that. Like I can't just keep living, not making any changes and then get mad when nothing changes. Right. (laughs) I just want to point out the fact that you 
kind of always had an understanding that this is I don't know okay I don't know what's right or wrong and I I try not to to get into that but then at the end of the day when I get really like heightened I'm like no that's right and that's wrong and like no one can change my mind because I'm stubborn as fuck but (laughs) when when I'm in these spaces similar to you I'm like what's right what's wrong my mom did the best she could you know but I I want to point out that you always kind of kept that that knowing that maybe it's not right or wrong, but maybe it's just what you needed. And sometimes you need to be true to what it is that you need. So that's huge because I think that so many of us get depressed, get down or whatever it is that we experience negatively because our needs get put to the side and we just get used to living that way. So shout out to you for recognizing that I can't keep doing this to myself and also for going through with it because that's even, I think, it's super easy to recognize and then to do something is the hardest part. Yeah. To do the work, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So speaking of doing the work, what do you feel like was the most helpful piece of like therapy or the therapeutic process um, in helping you to deal with the depression? And I do want to, at some point, go back to really talk about what depression looked like for you. um, Because I think depression is something that looks very different for every single person. And I think some people think depression only looks like what we, what society sells us this idea Mm -hmm. of like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to, you know, like hang out with my friends, but depression looks so different for so many different people. So I guess if you could explain what did your depression like look like and what, um, what about the therapy helped you overcome it or get through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what helped me get through the therapy was um, having having someone neutral that I could tell everything to that knew the people in my life. I mean, that, you know what I mean? Like They know like the, the characters and the situations and all that, but it does not has absolutely zero effect on them. What happens, whether anything happens or nothing changes, everything changes. It doesn't matter to, to the therapist, right? They're just there to help you in whatever way that that means. Having that figure in my life was huge. Yeah, I don't know that you can really get that any other way. Yeah, so like I said, my mom was a doctor. She's a really, she's a really good, highly rated doctor. But when it comes to her own family, she turns a blind eye to everything. So even though I was showing very clear symptoms of depression, she would have never admitted that I was depressed. So I had to like actively take her on a walk, and we were walking the dogs. And I remember like. It, like coming out to her as depressed and she was like taken back and taken aback and like what no no and um and it took her a second but um once I told her like yeah I just I just like I think I want to get um medication um she is like okay okay let's do this and then she started like she she got on board at first she was taken back and then immediately got on board so at that point my depression was like just kind of starting to feel bad just like not feeling motivated, not not feeling, never feeling happy, uh, not feeling joy in anything. And I was like, well, it's not that bad. So we'll, we'll go with it. Um, of course, it got worse and worse. And I think at my lowest point, uh, I literally felt like I, I was I was 29 and I literally felt like I was going to die at 30. Like, like, not that I wanted to kill myself, but the, just that I would be dead at 30 by 30. Mm. Um, and I remember I went to get a physical at my primary care physician. And I remember him I was talking to him about it. And I go like, 
I think this is it. I don't, there's nothing else I can do. Like, like my life's done. Like I, I haven't done anything with my photography. And of course, at this point, I hadn't created anything at all. I haven't done any art for years and years. And um, I was like, it just feels like my life's over. Like there's no other option. Uh, and he, his face, when he looked at me, like, you're 29. Like you have a lot of life left. Like you can do anything you want. And, um, but it felt so real. It felt undeniable. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that was wild. <laughs> that was a really strange feeling to have. Um, and then when I didn't die at 30 for any reason, Congratulations. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started realizing like, shit, I think I kind of wanted to die because it felt so like I haven't accomplished anything, I haven't done anything, and I have nothing to look forward to. And at least if I die at 30, it'll all be over. Or Yeah. Mm. I don't have to worry about it anymore. So once I got past 30, I started realizing that like, like oh, I'm not going to die. And now I need to live life. And now I need to actually start doing things because this is boring as hell. Like mm. just sitting around on the couch, you know, playing video games, smoking pot. Again, just one day thought I need to get, I need to get past this. I need to, I need to do something. You know, as you were speaking, it reminded me of like this thing that I, I tell people. It's like, sometimes it's not necessarily just us. It's things that are happening to us. And like, you know, what's crazy. Like I had a very similar experience to you. So not necessarily to the point where mm. I thought I was going to die, but I was mm. so, ever since I was little, I've been very, speaking of the end of the world, I've been very consumed with the end of the world. Mm. Uh, just kind of like leaving earth and what happens next. And mm -hmm. and I can't help but wonder, like, is that happening on a psychological level? Just, and I'm not saying all first gen people go through this, <laughs> but if you think about like how our parents came into this country and there were so many conditions placed on them. Um, in order to reach success or to be something or to like have some kind of American dream. And, you know, like they're they're fighting against a lot and then they have children and they can't tend to our needs properly, not because they're bad, but just because they weren't taught themselves. And then us, we're kind of like floating and we're in between these worlds where it feels like you're in an abyss a little bit. I mean, I remember that was my experience too. Like I really wanted things. I just didn't know how to get up and do it and it, it kind of felt like it was over before it even started i um, mean i wonder if it's because of those like conditions um that somehow our parents project onto us because you know you can't so imagine like in your case you can't show up how you want to show up authentically and it feels like you're boxed in so it's almost like you know a figurative death like a piece yeah. of you dies and it's like mm -hmm. so and i and i can definitely relate to that because um there were so many things that I wanted to do that I couldn't. I wasn't, I couldn't even speak my truth or else I would have got slapped in my mouth real fast. Um, <laughs> no, real, real fast. And so it's like you just learn to kind of box yourself in. So no wonder that we're already feeling dead inside and like there's no future yeah. because something's missing. Something's not living in us. Like, so I completely get that feeling, which is very interesting yeah. to me to, to do the, to see the parallel. Mm-hmm. And then like on top of that too, it's also this feeling of like, it could all go away tomorrow. It could all go away immediately. So like, why even, <laughs> why even try? So I do want to speak a bit to your photography. Um, and I, I'm curious, how did you start? 
If you could just, I guess, explain a little bit about how you started and how did that play a role um, in your life in terms of your mental health and well-being? Yeah. Um, so I think I started taking photographs in like high school and it never really felt like it didn't it never felt like this is my calling or like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was just something I really enjoyed. Um, and then but didn't actually put a priority on it like very much um, for most of high school and for the beginning of college. Um, in college, I started off as a as a music major, as a trombone performing um, major. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I started to hate performing and practicing and playing. And that's the last thing I wanted because I love playing. Um, and so I was like, well, this is not for me then because I don't want to hate music. And um, so I got out of the music program and got into photography. And the second I did that, it all clicked and fell into place because it never felt like work. Like everything was always like, ooh, I get to read about this technique or I, I get to spend hours in the dark room, like standing around with smelling chemicals. And like, it was all just like, everything was just so natural and, um, and enjoyable. And um, so, yeah, so then I started doing more like um, studio work because I love using lights and um, controlling. I love the control that I have in the studio. And that I had to teach myself because my university didn't, they mostly focused on theory and um, just let you kind of figure out the technique on your own, Uh, which at the time I hated. I was like, let me play with some lights. I want you to show me how to do it. But um, now I'm extremely grateful because I've developed my own technique. And like, I know, I think I know it more deeply or like more thoroughly having taught myself um, by making a ton of mistakes. It's funny because I always think about like doing a self-portrait, doing like some sort of like expressing my my depression or my angst or whatever it is through a self-portrait. But I cannot bring myself to do it. Um, it's like one of the few things that I'm like having so much trouble with still um, photographing. Only recently, only like within the last six months was I that I have I let someone take a photograph of me um professionally um i did like exchange with a with a friend and i actually really loved it i love the photographs she took i've been using them for things i like to look at them just for fun and it's not like i'm like wow i'm so hot or like it's it's not like i don't know it's just interesting to be able to look at my own face and not feel like hatred or disgust <laughs> which mm. i did for a very very long time i guess the photography helps with my mental health in that it really challenges me to to become intimate with my own features and my own being, I guess. <laughs> it also reinforces um, that I am good at something, that I like, I have a skill and it's here and I can show it to you and, you know, we can all enjoy it together. <laughs> um, but just having that one thing that I'm like, I'm, it's taken me a lot of years to admit it, but I, I now can admit that I'm like, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm good. I'm good at this. And that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm good at this. And that's a good thing that for me is so hard to, um, to have put into words. I wouldn't have been able to do that like two years ago. Um, but yeah, now I'm, 
again, it's just like, you have to, you have to commit to, to being an artist, to like, to, ad, to admitting when it's good and admitting when it's bad. And all of that is like a challenge to your mental health all the time, but like in a good way. <laughs> and I will say, uh, I'm the one who primarily manages, uh, the social media for the podcast. And I've had an opportunity to like, look at your work and, that's really my that was my first glimpse into who you were right through your work that I was able to see on Instagram and of course I think like with photography everyone sees something different right like the like every photographer I'm I'm not an artist but I'm sure every photographer will capture the same thing in a very different way because there's something special about their vision uh, and I wanted to just comment on your art because I do feel like your art is very powerful. Um, I feel like there's a lot of layers of depth. Like I see a lot of layers of depth and I don't know that I always understand it, but I know that it's there and there's like a beauty to how you capture the people that you photograph. And I think that there's a story in in their their eyes and their body language in the way that you edit the photos um i feel like there's so many layers there and i feel like with each photograph even though i'm seeing someone else i do feel like i see a part of you um and i was curious as to like what is your process um because i feel like it i do see you in your in your work and i wondered like how much of it do you feel like it's intentional? Uh, how has, you know, just who you are influenced how you decided to create like the final products when you're doing these photographs? Thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot to me um, hearing that from you. Um, and um, yeah, um, that's awesome. Cause yeah, it definitely isn't intentional for me to like try to put pieces of myself into it. And um I think I've been thinking about, I have been thinking about this and I guess my process is like, it's very important for me to connect with the person sitting in front of my lens. Um, when I do portraits, I send out like a little questionnaire, like what was the last song you put on repeat? Um, when did you last feel beautiful? Like show me mm -hmm. a picture of that you like and a picture that you hate of yourself. Um, and all these things together, like really helped me to like understand where this person is at the, at the moment, like mentally. And, um, when, when I can make a connection with the person getting to know people like that, um, is I have to do it quickly and I have to do it, um, well. And so I guess, I don't know. I just love talking to people. I love getting to know people. I love like, mm, sharing parts of myself with people um and hopefully they will share it some with myself and i think i create a very um collaborative um environment when during my portrait sessions it's not just me with a camera pointing at you shooting and taking it's both of us creating something together um i want your input i want you know you to try new things and get out of your comfort zone because I need to get out of my comfort zone. I think <laughs> uh, the best description um, I've had of my work is from, from a very close friend, uh, Cassandra, who said, um, yeah, your work is like, um, 
it's like sad, but make it sexy. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like depression, but make it erotic. And I was like, yeah, that, that like is my style. Like, um, and, um, yeah. And I love that. I think that's the perfect description. And I don't know how I don't do it on purpose. I don't, I don't like, you know, tell my, the people sitting to, um, to be sexy or erotic or anything like that. I don't tell them to be sad either, obviously, but just something, I don't know, just something in the process, something in the, um, the collaboration and that, uh, just kind of comes out looking the way it does. Well, since you started talking about your, your photography, I kept thinking that it validates you in a way, right? It's like your mm-hmm. validation of yourself, of what you've been through, of what you feel, mm-hmm. um, and even hearing your process and specifically with the collaboration piece, I feel like that it that's the validation piece. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, because I think that we have this mindset of, oh, I'm supposed to have this skill. And it's supposed to be independent of everybody else. And that's it, right? But that's, I, I think that's complete bullshit. I can't relate to like accountants and people who just kind of work alone because that's a that's another kind of personality type. But I can completely relate to you where, you know, I, well, most mental health practitioners, whatever you choose to do in this field, we don't get into mental health just to help other people. Mm-hmm. There's a piece of us that also kind of we heal through whatever it is we're doing, how we practice, the questions we ask, right? Like I even mm-hmm. did it today. I projected myself onto your experience. I said, oh, I had something similar. And it's almost like this, it's a collaborative healing almost mm-hmm. uh, through showing your pain. That's how, that's what kept coming up for me when you were describing your artwork. And I think what you're doing is kind of showing that your pain doesn't have to be hidden. It's actually kind of beautiful. Mm. Um, that's what I get from your, your photography, especially that Mm. there's always like a dark background and then it's almost like they're emerging in this like very, Mm. I don't know, but it's also, it's not an emergence like a Phoenix. It's an emergence in like a really dark way. Like I'm still dark, but I'm here. (laughs) Right. But I like, I actually like that. And I like how serious the photography is sometimes. And I did want to just point out that that picture that was taken of you, I thought it was great, and um, I really like it. And I'm happy that you brought it up because I did want to ask um, why <laughs> you let someone finally take it. Because <laughs> I, I'm curious, right? Because you spoke to how what that it took long, mm-hmm. but then about, it's so recent. It happened six months ago. Like, what was the shift? It's <sighs> a good question. Um, oh, you know what it was? This friend. I've so I've known this person, uh, Jessica, since high school. And we kind of parted, I mean, we didn't, we weren't um, super close or anything. Um, but recently, within the last year or so, she's been posting more and more of her photography and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And she, I could like tell right away that she had not just a gift for uh, like the technical stuff, but a gift for connecting with people and like letting you be you and comfortable. Yeah, so I contacted her and said, hey, let's do like, uh, we'll both take portraits of each other at the same time. And like, she was like, that's perfect, because I hate taking my getting my portrait taken. And I was like, well, that's perfect, because I hate taking my blah, 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 blah. So, um, so yeah, so it was actually really fun. We would like, <laughs> she would photograph me for like a few minutes and I'd go, okay, that's enough. And like, I'd get uncomfortable <laughs> and then I'd start shooting her. 
And then she would do the same thing. She's like, okay, okay, I'm done, I'm done. And then she actually would start shooting me again. <laughs> and like in this way, we both got like more and more comfortable in front of the camera. And like uh, we both like got to where we w- really wanted the images to get to. And um, yeah, and and she did. She she made me feel comfortable. She made me feel cool and handsome and um, just yeah. She just let me you know inhabit. I do think that what therapists do is creative and it is artistic. So yes. people don't make you feel anything. They shed light or they focus on mm. the parts that you weren't focusing on to begin with. Uh-huh. That's beautiful. She didn't make you feel anything. No, she just yeah. showed you what you weren't seeing. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I really like that. Yeah. And I think I appreciate your willingness to be seen because I know I also hate when <laughs> I get my photograph taken. And I know recently someone was like, okay, like pose. And I was like, I don't know how. And <laughs> it's just like this discomfort with being seen. Like mm-hmm. this person is going to see me. These I'm going to be seen by others, right? Like mm-hmm. share said photos. So I'm happy that you were just being comfortable um, with being seen and we're in that process. Um, I also noticed that you mostly photograph women. There's not a lot of men. And I wanted to know if that was um, intentional, not intentional. What are your, if you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. Um, Not intentional. Um, I'm honestly just not great at photographing men. But I think it's I think it's kind of a, a, a cyclical thing where it's like I don't I I, I would say I've only gotten a female requests. Oh, that's not true. I have I had one male request for portraits, but it's almost it's been like nine to nine out of ten times it's uh, women. So I don't get the opportunity much to shoot men, um, which doesn't help mm-hmm. me get better. Taking pictures of women specifically is just oh you know what it is? It's that it's that women are my comfort zone. I feel way more comfortable with women than men. Like all of my closest friends are women and I just always seek out like women to talk to because not in a romantic or or sexy way, but in like, just in like, I know I can relate to you. I know that we will have similar feels and thoughts on things um, probably. And that makes it a lot easier to get comfortable with someone and to get close to them a lot quicker because I just feel so comfortable around like feminine energy yeah i mean i think that there's something to be said about soft feminine inviting warm welcoming feminine energy that i think that men can have that but are not encouraged Mm -hmm. in society to show that uh side of themselves um Mm -hmm. so i think that it makes a lot of sense to to me why you would gravitate a lot towards women and also why it seems that women are also gravitating a lot towards yep. you because they're also feeling like you're capturing something about them that's beyond what society sees. Like you're capturing their beauty, but you're also capturing like emotions and depth and like you're looking beyond just their physical appearance to see mm-hmm. their strength and their energy and um, it's just capturing their beauty in a different way. That's just my personal mm. opinion, though. <laughs> no, I completely agree with that, Crystal, because if you really think about it, the way you explained it, whether it's feminine or masculine, um, essentially what you're capturing is people who want to be seen and they mm-hmm. want to show a part of themselves. And I think Crystal kind of spoke to it um, 
men aren't socially conditioned to be seen, right? They have to show up a certain way. There's a lot of limits. Um, So just start putting ads out there for people who genuinely want to be seen. And let's see if more people start rolling in. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's That's it, though. That's that's exactly it. And that's that's such a real thing for me is uh, being seen like um, I've had to work really hard on myself to to want to let that happen, to, to want to let to be seen because I was hiding. I was hiding huge, like, yeah just completely in shadow and um yeah and there's no way to thrive when you're living in shadows you know like i needed to get out and yeah just be seen like put myself out there and let people make decisions about me again i'm projecting and i can relate to this (laughs) And it's not that i'm correcting you i just i think it's perspective because i've been noticing this too i love hiding but i think i've done such a good job at not hiding to other people but hiding who like what I really feel what I really want to do so I don't think it's um that you don't thrive necessarily when you hide I think you're not thriving in who you want to be Mm -hmm. Uh, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who were very happy with how you were showing up and didn't think twice about it right Mm -hmm. you're absolutely Uh, right it has to do with like what you feel for you Mm -hmm. is is the right thing and that's one of the hardest things to do I think (laughs) <laughs> it really is yeah. yeah that's beautifully put yeah i like that so i do want to um speak i guess a little bit um to i know you said that you ended you're no longer in therapy Correct. um and i wanted to know like what that made you decide to stop going to therapy like did you feel like you got to a place where you can manage yourself did something happen with your therapist what what went into that decision yeah, so it's actually kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, so Dr. Lilit had to take a leave of ab- or uh, took a leave of absence, and then um, decided not to come back. And she recommended another uh, doctor at her uh, practice for me to work with. And I thought, okay, great. Um, if she's recommending her, then she must be great. So I started seeing the new therapist, whose name escapes me. She was new to the profession and you could tell and um i think our very last session i had to stop seeing her because one i wasn't getting any i not only was i not getting anything out of it i knew i like was getting upset by it yeah so i had to stop seeing her but um, but I am in a good, uh, I felt, I also did feel like I was in a good enough place to manage my, my self, um, at least mostly. Um, but yeah, our very last session was when things finally got interesting, but I was like, yeah, still no. Um, which is, she was like, so what is, what's the issue? Like, just tell me what it is. And I said, honestly, it's that you are an elderly white woman. And you do not know how to relate to me. And I have to explain everything that I talk about, like right down to where, you know, it, the culture originated from and like mm. try to like try to get her to understand the like context for everything. And, and she really had this thing about like not listening, I guess, <laughs> and kind of making it about her. Um, and um, yeah, so I, a lot of the sessions were me just kind of 
explaining things to her and then listening to why she, where she's coming from, but not in like a helpful way. I don't know. It was just weird and I didn't like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I stopped seeing her. I, I like Chris and I always say this, it's, this is a service. If you don't feel mm-hmm. good, if you don't, the, the whole point isn't to, to make you go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you can stop and you you can start seeing somebody else if you want. Um, but I like the distinction that you made between you and her, right? Because, like, you tried to write it out a little bit. So I mm-hmm. kudos to you because most people will just be like, whatever, I'm not doing this. Because mm-hmm. sometimes therapy in and of itself is uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. versus right. someone making you feel uncomfortable, right? So I like right. the fact that you were able to differentiate. Yeah, totally. Because I wanted it to work. I love therapy. Like, I... I you know, therapists are awesome. You guys are great. But um, but just this one uh, just wasn't a good fit for me. Not so much. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's okay. I'm glad that you were able to to recognize that. This is obviously the Men in Therapy series. You are a man in therapy. And we thank you so much for just being open and vulnerable and sharing a bit about your story. What is something that uh, you would tell other men um, in that are going to therapy or something that you wish you were told growing up that you would like to, do you wish you had known sooner? Uh, I guess I would say to other men who are either in considering going to therapy or in therapy is just that you need to let down your guard. Mm. You need to not filter and you need to trust the process and just let it like let it go let it flow let it whatever you're thinking let it out because the therapist is there to hear it and not punish you for it uh yeah something i wish i had been told when i was younger is just this is gonna sound very dramatic but i love you i wish i had heard that more uh, from my parents and um I love you. Whoever's listening, like you have love and like, I have a lot of love to give and I try to give it freely. And I know some people maybe get uncomfortable with that. So I try to be careful with it, but yes, I love you (laughs) is what I would have liked to have heard more often when I was to child. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I will say finally, like getting to see you and hear your voice, you know, like I've always felt like you're such a warm, loving spirit, but I feel it on a much deeper level. Uh, and I feel you're very gentle, kind, warm spirit, even through, even through the Zoom. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us, to share with us. And that is our episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Never Told This Pod or send us an email at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And also, Alex, do you want to share your social media? Where can people find you? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm on Instagram um, at Samora Visuals, uh, Z A M O R A Visuals. Awesome. So yeah, definitely check us all out (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) And as always, come back next time so we can tell you what they never told us.